Well, welcome to Heartland History, the podcast of the Midwestern History Association. I am your host, Camden Bird, and I am an assistant professor of history at Eastern Illinois University. I'm very excited today to introduce my guest, Phil Chrisman. Phil Chrisman is the author of Midwest Futures, a short cultural history of the Midwest, and How to Be Normal, an essay collection from both, both of those from Belt Publishing. He teaches introductory writing at the University of Michigan. Uh, Phil is someone who is writing uh, really compelling things on the Midwest, on culture, religion, and politics, and I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. So thank you, Phil, for uh, joining me here on Heartland History. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we jump into your work, and, and, and hopefully I don't sort of just jump around all over the place with your writing, so I really do enjoy reading your stuff. I'm curious if you'd be willing to, to share a bit about your background with listeners. Um, you bring a lot of your own biography into your writing. Um, and, and how it informs your view of the Midwest and, and the things you're talking about. Um, so perhaps you could talk a little bit about that, your Midwestern roots and, and the ways that these experiences start to shape the way you write about the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I grew up in Elma, Michigan. Um, so, you know, college town. I, if, if, if listeners have um, never read the Neil Stevenson essay on the, the Midwestern American college town and it's sort of specific, um, some of the hyper-specific traits uh, of, of that type of place. Um, that's a good essay. I, I forget the title of it. It's, it's in uh, Summer Marks. Um, and in some ways, I mean, that, that kind of fit, uh, that, that essay fits my experience fairly well in that there was a lot of um, educational enrichment stuff going on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was I was prepared to go to college, even though my family was working class and my sister and I are the, fir- or, you know, the first generation of my family to go to college. Um, and, yeah, I, I studied literature uh, in college and in grad school. And uh, I think I first started... Um, looking at the idea of writing about the Midwest uh, in a kind of self-conscious way uh, in, in grad school when I, I, I think I, I was bothered that there was, there were so many courses on Southern literature. Um, and uh, is, is there no Midwestern literature? Did we just not do anything? <laughs> Have we just sat around twiddling our thumbs for two, 200 odd years? And, and, and then, you know, you, you start, I, I started noticing uh, how many, great writers were in our Midwesterners, um, some of whom follow that sort of cultural script of like, I, I grew up in, in Nebraska, and then I moved to New York City, where the mm-hmm. real stuff is, you know, and a lot of whom don't, though. Um, and yeah, uh, <clears throat> and so that was uh, something that was always on my mind. Um, and I, I lived in the South for five years. And then when my wife and I moved uh, to Ann Arbor in 2013, it was like, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's time to 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 revisit this again because I really had a, a sharper sense of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, how how the Midwest was a different place to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if also uh, if if how much of getting away or or at least seeing the Midwest from a different perspective after you've been somewhere else is helpful to sort of you know to counterweight. I I'm I'm from Michigan as well. I'm from Grand Rapids originally. And oh, yeah. I, I moved uh, for undergraduate out to Utah uh, and nothing, you know, like sort of made my awareness of what might a Midwest be than sort of living somewhere that is just so drastically different. 
Uh, and I'm curious if that that's sort of like your experience as well when it, living in the South. It, it played a role for sure. Um, it, it, it went in a couple of contradictory directions at, at, at once. So on the one hand, um, this is going to sound, this is going to sound kind of mean, but I'm just going to be honest with you. You go to the South and if you're from another part of the country, people just really love lecturing you about how nice and uh, hospitable they are compared to you people, which like, on the surface already is kind of a contradiction because is it really nice and friendly to be like, Hey, I'm nice and friendly. Unlike you jerks, <laughs> you know, like, okay, yeah, great. I'm really feeling the hospitality. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And then of course you're walking around a city that is very overtly um, in many cases, like built to keep black people uh, like in a particular neighborhoods like fenced off like like racism is part of the the city planning and so then you start thinking about that um when it, when i lived in the south uh it was uh columbia south carolina um which is a, gr a great town in a lot of ways like i'm not trying to just be down on the south um but like one of the one of the best public libraries i've ever seen um which which runs counter to a lot of the stereotypes um but uh, it was the first place I ever lived that had like anti panhandling laws in the sense that like not only were people told not to panhandle, but you were told not to give people money. Um, like there were signs everywhere, um, which I, I just think is insane. Um, and it's becoming more common. So then so then you're thinking about, well, how does racism manifest? And I, I think at first I wanted to go for a more self-serving story where, oh, we don't have any of that nonsense in the Midwest. Um, and, and I was saved from that kind of idiocy uh, because I was, uh, my, my then girlfriend, now wife, is someone who works on prison stuff a lot. Mm -hmm. She's uh, Ashley Lucas. She's a scholar of prison theater. Um, and, you know, she would just say to me, well, uh, on the other hand, why is, why is Detroit like far and away the largest source of people in prison in Michigan? <laughs> like mm -hmm. why is Michigan one of the uh, most segregated and racist places I've, I've ever seen, even though the, you know, uh, the cities are uh, nice and grid like, <laughs> you know, they don't, they, the streets don't suddenly cut out because this used to be a neighborhood that was only for black people. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet <laughs> we still manage. Um, so she, she kind of kept me from uh, telling myself too self-serving of a, a story about that. So it became more like, okay, why, why is it, why does it manifest differently? Mm -hmm. Why does it like, why does it, why does it look different? How, how are we, how are we doing some of those, how are we enacting some of those same mechanisms of ex exclusion, but, but in our, in our own way. Um, so that was good. Cause it kept me from being too self-righteous about it. Um, but I did, I, I don't know, I did, I did come to value the, um, the reserve that can seem like standoffishness to people who aren't, aren't Midwesterners over against the friendliness that often just seems to become a kind of bragging, mm -hmm. um, that I felt like I sometimes encountered, uh, in, in the South, like definitely not all Southerners, but, but people who are sort of like self-consciously trying to make a thing of it. Um, 
sometimes that was the case. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and there's also just like topographical and, and meteorological stuff that I missed too. I like, uh, I, I missed insane, uh, you know, early spring Midwestern weather, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, all these, these themes you're talking about sort of being honest about the Midwest and, and not sort of being sort of, yeah, self-aggrandizing as if the Midwest is somehow just inherently because of geography or something better. Um, it's something that I find really refreshing about your writing. You also are honest about how hard it is to talk about the Midwest, um, which, you know, as someone who runs this podcast and, you know, researches on the Midwest, if someone does point to me and say, like, what is the Midwest? Like, that's the scariest question <laughs> to answer. Um, but you do sort of fall into um, a formula, you know, you, you point this out in the, the early pages of Midwest Futures, right? That you you talk about uh, uh, Katie Rossing identifies as sort of the Midwestern formula of writing mm-hmm. about the region that first you have to write about how the landscape is incredibly flat and maybe boring. Uh, and then you have to ask, what is the Midwest anyway? I mean, even in my asking of this question of the question, I'm sort of framing it this way. Um, and why doesn't it have the cultural resonance of Northeast, the South, the West? And then you flip it and you tell the reader, wait, there is something here after mm-hmm. all. Um, th- it's like a popular trope. I feel like it's timeless, about, especially about the Midwest. Um, and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about why this formula does seem to persist and how does it sort of limit the understanding of the region or perhaps further entrench it, you know, in its otherness. Yeah. Yeah. That Katie Rossing essay is, is, it's really good. Uh, it's really funny. Uh, she really nailed it. But, um, I think that, I think that trope of like, I've got to talk about how nobody's ever talked about the Midwest before, before I go and talk about the Midwest. Um, (laughs) I think it persists partly because it does, it is, um, a slightly off way of, of stating something that is part of people's real experience, which is, um, you know, most Midwesterners I talk to do not grow up with a really strong sense of regional consciousness or, or, or anything like that. It does, the subject does seem to kind of disappear, um, it, it does seem like something you have to make a point of talking about. Um, and I think what's important to do instead of falling into that trope is one to notice. I, I mean, so like, why not? I mean, why not just follow that trope? Well, one, you miss that there is a pretty rich tradition of people writing about the Midwest very self-consciously. There, there are people um, doing good work in that area right now. Uh, and there's the Midwestern Historical Association and, um, you know, the Midwest branch of the MLA and the Society for the Study of Midwestern Literature. I mean, if you're an academic, you've got those things. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- whatever field you're in, you know, you, you can find you can find that. And you can you, there's Midwestern literary presses that are really influential and in, in even kind of setting the conversation in certain ways. Um, Gray Wolf, you know, uh, uh, Coffee House. Um, I, not to be arrogant, but I think increasingly Belt um, is, yeah. is doing that. My publisher. Um, so 
yeah, I, I, if you fall into that trope, I mean, one, it, it's like you're you're walking past. You're like you're like the person who's like, I can't find any good parties, and you're walking past like five good parties. That's that's one reason not to do it. The other reason not to do it um, is that you don't notice. I mean, it's just the, you, you want to question any ideology, right? And when I say ideology, I don't mean like set of ideas or philosophy. I mean it in the like kind of pejorative leftist sense of like an idea that is not quite true that uh, has kind of been um, generated as a way of making sense of, of everyday life, um, but that, that kind of papers over uh, an, an actual history. Um, so I, I, I kind of, that's what I tried to do in the book, especially at the beginning is to kind of flip it and be like, okay, let's, let's take for granted that if, if I have this feeling that people aren't talking about the Midwest and then I can look around, uh, in my local library and see that that is violently untrue, <laughs> you know? And if, and if I look at, look at literature, look at politics, look wherever I want, like, that's not true. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so if I have a contradiction of my own experience that seems and feels true, uh, that's been put there. Mm -hmm. what, why might that be put there and what realities is that papering over? And I, I, and I think making that like I want readers to make that move, even if they don't ultimately find the story uh, that I tell that compelling, like maybe in 10 years, you know, I won't either. Uh, like, I mean, hopefully it'll stand up, but, um, but I, I, I want people to at least, um, yeah, ask themselves why this thing that is, is historically and culturally important, uh, why we think it's not those things or why we think nobody's talking about it, because mm -hmm. I guarantee you like that, that's just wrong. Yeah. And I, I, I was reading that and I, I, I was struck by, I, almost like if there is sort of a core piece of a Midwestern identity, whatever the heck that is, it, it is this sort of um, feeling of being overlooked. I, mm -hmm. I, I have a section of, of your, uh, from Midwest Futures, I really enjoyed it. I'm just gonna read. But this lingering sense of hidden riches of a cultural vitality not yet fully explored or appreciated brings to mind again that feeling that the Midwest is a thing appraised from elsewhere, a fund externally managed. And I think that's a really interesting way of, yeah, like this 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 feeling among Midwesterners that they're being overlooked, even though there's like a lot of evidence all around of all this cultural work that's being done. Of, and of course, that people are, are existing here and living and, you know, are living rich lives. Um, but like, we still need to hold on to this idea that like New York doesn't care about us. LA doesn't care about us. Um, and yeah. that has to like, that has to be a, a component of that as well. I don't know that I was just sort of like giggling. I mean, a lot of these essays are very thoughtful, but they're also kind of funny too. So I was just like laughing a lot as well as I reading this. I mean, the, the, the LA and New York don't care about us thing. Mm -hmm. Like I, that really drives me nuts because mm -hmm. it's such a, it's, it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's, I mean, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I mean, it's not unreasonable that that even cities that are kind of cultural capitals like that would would be a little, uh, a little self absorbed. You know, I, like I don't think it's that weird that New Yorkers are always on Twitter being like, nobody else has bodegas like we do. Yeah, it's yeah. silly, 
you know, it's a little risible. It's risible. Uh, you, but, but it, it doesn't really make me mad. It's like, uh, that, that's people's sense of the particularity of their own experience. You know, it's like when my nephew was six or seven years old and he said to me, uncle Phil, did you like star Wars when you were a kid? Like, yes. <laughs> you know, cause I was an American kid born after 1977. Uh, you know, but it's, it's like, you know, of, of course, people tend to feel the things that are happening to them. Like I'm the first person this has happened to. Like that's a, that's a cognitive Mm -hmm. bias that seems pretty deep seated in a lot of people. I don't think it's weird or silly for New York or LA to have that. I, and I think when we expect them not to, and to instead be like, Hey, you know, what's cool? Minneapolis, like have some self-respect, man. I mean, Minneapolis doesn't need external validation. Mm -hmm. I used to live in the twin cities they really don't need external validation. I mean, I, I, I could have been very happy living there for the rest of my life. Um, you know, my um, career and relationship stuff didn't didn't permit that. But I, I lived in Grand Rapids for six or seven years. And honestly, I could have, I mean, people are sometimes condescending uh, about Grand Rapids because uh, the, the whole Amway thing and whatnot. I could have been very happy living in Grand Rapids for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. Uh, I might even be happy living in Ann Arbor for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so the, yeah, that craving for external validation, like don't give them that power, you know, yeah. come on. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I agree with you. And it, it's sort of just an interesting phenomenon. It, it also puts a responsibility on like everyone elsewhere to always be like self-aware of these places that perhaps like people haven't visited do, you know, like yeah. I'm not thinking about, um, I don't know, the Bronx all the time, you know, and so of I, course I, I'm missing things going on there. You I, know? I, I, I once was in a conversation with a Southern friend of mine who had kind of a chip on his shoulder about being Southern. And he was like, you know, I, I'd rather, we have our problems here, but I'd rather be like me than like these chestless men in New York, blah, 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 blah. I was like, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, I've never been to New York city. I don't really have strong feelings about it one way or another at, at that point in my life. That mm-hmm. had been true. And he was like, yeah, you know, I've I've actually never been there either. Maybe I right. <laughs> I was like, what? What? Why? Yeah, why are we so invested in the, these mm-hmm. like fantasies of, of, about each other? And in doing that, you're also you know like in that par- practice, you're also creating a region for another group of people who like have their own sense of place and yeah. history. I, yeah, it's just really interesting. Um, I'm I'm curious, you know, to talk about Midwest futures. Uh, you know, th- though you're not, you know, technically a trained historian. Um, uh, I'm absolutely not a trained historian. <laughs> I am an interested outsider and amateur. Okay. Well, I mean, for a book named Midwest Futures, um, it contains quite a bit of history, uh, you know, and it, I think it's good history. And I'm, I'm curious okay. what led you in that direction for that uh, project. <sighs> It's been a few years now, but I, I, I think as the book was kind of crystallizing in my mm-hmm. head, one of the things that I realized was th- that it's a trait of Midwestern history and culture to be really future oriented. And then, you you know, you ask yourself, well, does that is that true of the Midwest in a way that's distinctive? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like are, aren't isn't any place future oriented? Um, and, and ultimately I'm not sure anybody has enough experience of the world to answer a question like that. But, um, the more I read and the more I thought about what I was reading, um, the more it did feel like, uh, that is, that is a thing 
Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are always um, so that runs through the the utopianism uh, that a lot of people, including me, very strongly are fascinated by. Mm-hmm. You know, the nineteenth century um, tradition of creating these little utopian communities. Um, it, it runs through the 20th century focus on, um, industry, you know, the Ford, the workplace of the future, you know, just mm-hmm. sim- simple stuff like that. Um, and, and then I, I think in a negative way, it also runs through like all the, all the news stories, uh, in like December of 2016 and January of 2017, they're like, ah, I went to a diner in mm-hmm. Monroe County, Michigan. And is this the future? Um, and it, yeah, it yeah. just seems like our history is the future kind of. Um, and, and so when I had that, um, as, as when I research something, I kind of, I start with like a really stupid initial hypothesis that is just enough to kind of focus my research. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm answering a, I'm answering a question where the answer is pro- probably no, cause that was probably a dumb question. And then it, it's a recursive thing where I, I try to formulate better questions as, as I go on. Um, and the more I read, the more clear that it became that that was like a, a, potential spine for for the book and its Mm -hmm. argument and therefore um like hopefully a a helpful contribution to people's conversations about the midwest you know you you spent some time talking about frederick jackson turner's essay um (laughs) the significance of the frontier in american history uh which you know historians you know this guy like is considered a rock star, I guess, in his day. I mean, the, the historian has gotten this much mileage uh, how many years later, but this this frontier thesis, which was delivered in Chicago in 1893, um, you know, down the road from the Columbia Exposition, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, this thing is like, gets legs, it starts to haunt what we might call a national, a national mythology. Um, and what I liked about your conversation is that you do bring it back to Midwest, which I think it often sort of gets turned into sort of the, you know, as the name suggests, like a frontier westward moving line, which is what he's talking about. But he does spend a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, focusing on the Midwest. I'm curious, um, and many of our listeners will be familiar with Turner, but, you know, what did Turner do for you in your essay and your writing? And, you know, what did he get wrong about the Midwest? And, and how does that thesis do you how do you see that thesis still shaping the perception of the region uh, today? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm having to, I'm having to think back a few years, but I think what I, what I end up basically saying about Turner is that the, the Midwest has to be a very, or, or as he called it, he, he gave it its like kind of full name, like, you know, uh, so-and-so, so-and-so, the third, um, <laughs> the middle West, uh, it, it was kind of his, it had to play a really important role in his argument because the Middle West is, it's basically the place that is important because that frontier line, um, where Americanness itself is shaped, uh-huh. the American character is shaped like the, the front as the frontier line passes through an area. Um, it's, it's almost like you, you can picture, uh, the the American race being created, um, and and I forget the name of the historian. I, I cite I cite her in the book, uh, but it, it was really helpful having one historian point out that like 
he he's probably thinking of like an almost like a Lamarckian evolution mm-hmm. kind of picture where um, frontier dwellers are acquiring these traits and then passing them on. Like this is a race, capital mm-hmm. R, which of course that's, Ooh, that's probably significant and probably bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so the Midwest is the place where that process happened recently enough that we're not still as like fresh and uh, unrefined as the people where who, who live where the frontier line is now, but we're the people who it's, it's almost like we're, we're Goldilocks's like just right porridge, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we, we had um, the sort of uh, warlike virtues <laughs> um, created uh, for us. And, and now we're also learning how to be cultured and refined, but we haven't been ruined by over refinement. We're just right, you know? Um, and that's, that's what he thinks that state of being is what he thinks America has to contribute to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the future uh, for the foreseeable future <laughs> yeah. for, for Turner. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, so what, what seemed important to me about that? Well, one, I mean um, it, it, it then makes sense of why for the first half of the 20th century, the Midwest is not at all overlooked or unimportant Mm -hmm. in journalism, in culture or in historiography. It's the focus of an extraordinary amount of attention um, and an extraordinary amount of writing um, because it's paradigmatic America now Um, Two, I mean, I, I, I guess I wanted to notice the ways that this kind of bad, like racialist thinking um, that's based on like discredited biology and a, and a, and a, and a concept that is not race. Race isn't real except as the name of a fiction that we, you know, use to ruin people's lives with. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to notice, I wanted to notice how that still infects my thinking and and other people's thinking. Um, Because I, the first time I read the, the Turner chapter on the middle West and, and, and the the original Turner essay, I was like, Oh, I can immediately see why he would think that way. Like it was like, he was speaking a language that I already knew or, or had acquired, even though I could also immediately see why that language was wrong. It's also obviously a part of me. Um, I, I, I also, yeah, yeah. People who are, people who are, uh, rough and tough and have pioneer virtues, but yeah. are also, you know, putting together their first opera company. I can see why you would think that's like the perfect combination. Uh, Oh, Oh, why does that make so much sense to me? That's, that's not good. <laughs> what happened there? Yeah. And it does, you know, um, despite, you know, scholars and, and critics talking about this, you know, <laughs> for how many decades uh, yeah. after the fact of, of criticizing it, you know, it has been, I'd argue, you know, just sort of like ingrained into sort of how history has been told. What is space? Space is the new frontier. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it, you know, to create frontiers then is sort of like the reinvention of American identity in that sense. But then, it, you know, to hold on to that sort of Midwestern as like the sort of the sweet spot of, of that frontier. 
Um, it is interesting how you, you lay out like in the early 20th century then, like the Midwest was the place, you know, no one was overlooking it. No one's like, what did we miss? What did we get wrong about the Midwest? It was seen as the future uh, mm -hmm. in coming into, you know, sort of almost the most American place, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, regionalist, regionalist writing was a, was a huge deal. Um, and, and then, you know, kind of following that wave, there's the whole uh, re uh, revolt against the village conversation, which also centers the Midwest again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Main Street is is like for a lot of people like the book of of the early twenties. I mean, uh, yeah, Middleton, Middleton, um, the the sociological study that took Muncie, Indiana, as the most North mm -hmm. American place. I mean, just all of it. Um, yeah, and and then uh, well, this is a place where John's work. Uh, you mentioned John Lauk earlier. Uh, mm -hmm. His his work was really helpful because he's. Um, I mean, he he actually looked at the the revolt against the the village conversation again freshly um, and noticed some some nuances there that I hadn't been aware of. And then also his study of the um, like the Midwestern historiography of like the 30s through the early 50s, I think um, that was really helpful because I mean it it was another example of like a, a conversation that had been pretty central to the discipline and that lots of people had been aware of that focused on the Midwest, the uh, totally ne neglected region that nobody's ever talked about. You know, it was, a, it was another instance of that. You, you write how this also changes over the course of the 20th century. Um, again, I'm quoting here. Uh, if the Midwesterner of the early 20th century represented an America coming into its own, the Midwestern of the 21st symbolizes a center failing to hold. And, and there is this sort of weird amnesia that often ignores the present state of the Midwest as it in fact being a result of, you know, policy choices and, and companies making decisions and politics and deindustrialization and weakening of unions. All these like variables are coming into place. Um, you see it now as, you know, like the Midwest is somehow a genre that it's like fallen or something's been lost. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if there's a question here. I'm just sort of curious. I mean, yeah, that, now, now we're yeah. getting Midwestern Gothic and we're getting yes. more ruin porn and yeah. we're getting more. Um, uh, this, this is less true than when I wrote the book, but um, did the Midwest give us Trump? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Midwest dystopia, uh, various, various forms of Midwest dystopia. Um, and and yeah, that's that's no more accidental than than the other stuff was. Um, the the Midwest is now like how we try to contain our anxieties or or get catharsis for our anxieties about uh, what the American future is going to be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's yeah the the futures in that dystopian model is very interesting as well, right? I mean, you've got this interesting conversation of you know, the doomsday prepper culture in the Midwest or, or wanting to go sort of run off into the woods or like um, you talk about, and these are conversations I've heard among Midwesterners all the time about like climate change in the Midwest and how like the Midwest mm -hmm. is going to be a better place, <laughs> you know, like the future of climate change, though dire, is somehow- A relatively like, less bad place. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and which is kind of an absurd argument and, and, and idea just to sort of think about all the externalities. And I don't even know, if, you know, what the point of that conversation is, but it's like, there's an escapism future for the Midwest too. Uh, and I'm just curious, like, what do you make of that sort of trend or 
cultural idea that's sort of floating around. It, it seems to just speak to your future some more, but it's just like a different sort of future that's embracing the, the worst realities. I mean, that's another thing that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, I don't know if you saw that tweet going around. Um, and I, uh, honestly, the answer to, I don't know if you saw that tweet going around should probably just always be, no, I, I didn't because <laughs> I'm a normal person and I'm not on Twitter and I don't waste my life. Um, and I should probably get off of there too, but there, there was, it was going around. It was, I think it was a link to a federalist story that was like, you know, public schools are so dangerous with all these shootings mm -hmm. that we're just going to have to homeschool our children, AKA uh, do the thing we always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. We're, we're just going to have to give into the logic of feudalism, which is where I don't want to tar conservatism with too broad of a brush, but where the things that I don't like about conservatism started uh, and, and, where they're trying to frankly take us back to, I think. Um, it's, the, the, it's, it's a logic where on the one hand, I see that things are bad uh, and, and I, I see that people need to organize together for, to push for systemic change. And I also see that the forces arrayed against that are so strong mm -hmm. that I feel despair, uh, which I'm probably meant to feel by someone with ill intentions. And so then I just think about how I can get my bag and and look out for just, you know, like rein in the circle of who I really care about. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I tried to sort of like I, I tried to not spare myself from my own critique. That's why I talk about how the, my reaction to the 2016 election was mm -hmm. was basically, uh, oh, no, the people with the assault weapons uh like they own this country now and they're going to kill my you know very liberal wife and uh you know uh the, the students who matter the most to us i'm you know what i need to do i need to get a gun <laughs> at some land <laughs> i need to be a settler colonial but woke about it uh, and, and, uh, because, you know, I can't, I can't trust this society to protect, uh, you know, to help me protect the people I, I care about, which, which was an absurdly melodramatic reaction, uh, the, the, you know, a person with, uh, of, of the type that a person with an anxiety disorder would tend to have. But it's also, it's also, um, the kind of logic that where, where you take a, a social breakdown, <laughs> and uh reify it <laughs> um and and make it happen uh by by fearing it so much um and so yeah i i, I like i i don't want to say anything as as banal as like or, or we have nothing to fear but fear itself because I, I mean actually we have plenty to fear i mean everybody i like it, it's interesting the most recent school shooting um I would love to believe that it's going to represent a breaking point. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't know if those exist, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it does seem to be hitting people differently. Um, my, my best friend ha has been talking about just feeling continuously scared and angry to take his children to school. Um, it, it seems to be living with people in a, in a slightly different way mm -hmm. than the, the last dozen or so have. Um, but... 
yeah the, like so we have real things to be afraid of but yeah, yeah. fear is one of the things the, the fear and what fear can make us do is one of the things that we we need to be afraid of yeah and it strikes me again thinking because i'm thinking about the trajectory of how you sort of outlined the 20th century too and and you referenced that federal speech which i did see that tweet so i do know what you're referencing um you too have the brain damage my yeah. brother <laughs> um but yeah like you would think that the people who see sort of this Midwest declension narrative of the 20th century into the 21st century uh, of like the social fabric's been ruined at the same time, sort of advocating ideas that will, will continue to erode social fabric. Like <laughs> let's be done with public school. <laughs> let's be done. You know, let's move to a homeschool. It's like these, you know, in the romanticized Midwest of the past, that is, you know, often held up as like, again, sort of that American heartland uh, myth. Um, yeah, there just seems to be a huge gulf between, you know, the myth, the romanticized image of the Midwest, and then sort of the, the those who will use that image, but still, you know, propose terrible ideas about how to continuously deconstruct the social fabric of whatever the Midwest is, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we should, we, let's talk about your new collection of essays, which is much more recent, um, also through Bell Publishing, uh, the How to Be Normal. Um also, I, I'd just be curious, the title essay, uh, How to Be Normal, uh, and I'm curious if, you know, just if you see a connection between Midwest and the concept of normalcy, you know, is there some sort of relation of just like the Midwest being normal or those who live there are the most normal, whatever that means? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the classic uh, example people always use is the... I don't even know if this is true anymore, but it's been true for long enough that it's become a commonplace of um, newscasters used to be coached to do the mid-Atlantic um, accent that like, I don't think anybody has anymore except Marianne <laughs> Williamson. She's like the only person left, uh, but everybody, everybody in old movies has it, you know? Um, and, and yeah, at some point that switched to being like, you sound like, sound like Clark Kent, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sound like you're from Nebraska. Um, yeah, I think there's, I think there's a million ways that, that the Midwest gets encoded as, as normal because I mean, all the stuff I was saying a minute ago about mm -hmm. Turner, I mean, it's, it's normatively American. So, um, and of course the thinking of yourself as normal will just break your brain because then every, everything that, seems like it might be a deviation mm -hmm. you have you have to have like 10 times more angst about because what does this mean if it's showing up here in me mr normal um yeah it's 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 wildly unhealthy um so yeah i do i do think there's i do think there's a connection there um and and the the uh, the essay about the midwest that's in that book it's a thing i i gave at the um midwest history association yeah yeah conference yeah i saw that that was a that was a really fun that was a really fun conference really really fun panel i yeah i, I want to come back to that too i mean a lot in both midwest futures and the the how to be normal essays you talk a lot about um staring at place i mean you, you do kind of play with that trope that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast of this notion of like you have to look at it long enough and then you start to see stuff which is that's actually you know, like historically a lot of midwest writers that's what they will go to is sort of like actually when you start to look, then you start to see all the complexities. And, um, mm -hmm. and for you, that was, you know, running, right? Like you, you mm -hmm. used to run a lot and by running, it sort of transported you uh, to look at landscape a little bit differently. Um, 
again, I don't know if I have a question here. I'm just, uh, it's just a, an interesting concept of how one starts to construct a sense of place, whether it's through running or, you know, I know, you know, another very popular trope of like, is just driving, you know, like driving through the yep. Midwest also is a form of when you start to notice place and space and that ties a region together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not accidental that even though I'm like pretty anti-car and mm -hmm. I, I think, I think, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait for cars to go. <laughs> uh, I'm so I'm so tired of almost getting hit every time mm -hmm. uh, I, I try to bike anywhere in Ann Arbor. Um, I'm I I well I hate cars. Uh, my book ends with a, a, a like thing a reverie about driving at night, or maybe the book the the the, um, the original essay version of, of Midwest Futures that I did in, in Hedgehog several years ago. It ends with me driving. Mm -hmm. uh, it just felt inescapable. Like, yeah, running, walking, uh, taking a train somewhere. That's a big one. Um, I, I, had a, I had a friend in college who is also a Midwesterner. She's from Nebraska or um, in, in grad school, rather. And she wanted to do a class that was it was like a, it would be an American lit survey. that's just trains is just uh texts that involve riding uh trains at night <laughs> um and yeah driving all, all of it um that that sort of um long meditative uh journey over the flatness uh, until you realize that it's not flat um or, or i just finished reading um miss mcintosh my darling uh by marguerite young recently um, and, and of course that's an all night bus ride. Uh, mm. I mean, they're, they're, that book is extremely surreal and I, I, I don't know if it's true that you can really in any sense say that anything happens in it, but <laughs> one level of the text is, um, uh, the narrator is writing a, writing a, she doesn't say greyhound, but it's basically a greyhound, uh, through Indiana into Iowa. Um. That's, so that's that's another one. Um, Bruce Springsteen has nothing on us. <laughs> Just to jump back, because I, I do love, again, like thinking of the way you write about normalcy. Um, but you write, there is no future in normalcy in our little attempts that we make at building a home in this world from statistics and routines and habits. Our only home is each other, uh, which I just really was moved by that. I thought that was a great um, sentiment, which sort of thinks about the connectedness of, you know, the, the, the subjects that we study, Midwestern history and, and the complexities of the Midwest, again, going to your, you know, your initial points of that is an incredibly diverse area and sort of holding up tropes of who is Midwestern and who is not in that space seems to be not a helpful mental exercise. And in fact, you know, caring for each yeah. other and thinking about each other as well. Yeah. I mean, I think part of what I'm trying to do uh, in, in both of these books, I guess, is to like, I want people to feel a sense of responsibility to this place if they happen to live in it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or to wherever they are. Um, and I want to think out loud about what is required of me if I want to live responsibly here. And I want to do that without without relying on pride in the theological sense, like the bad kind of pride where, um, 
I will care about this region and I will work to make it better because it's the best region, damn it. And the other regions are like rival football teams that I must humiliate and defeat mm-hmm. or even uh, rival armies that I must kill. <laughs> um, and, and then also I have to think, well, what about these people who don't represent what I think of as distinctively you know, of this region. Oh, well then they're a problem and I've got to either mitigate the effect of their presence or just get rid of them mm-hmm. by putting them in jail uh, or deporting them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want, I, I don't think that anything gets a, a, a lot better until we learn to love and feel responsibility for places without that, that sort of cheap crutch of of pride and exclusion like i love the midwest because it has these people in it whoever they happen to be at this moment and not because it's this kind of place that only has these kinds of people and whoa who are those guys you know does does that make sense yeah no it's it's Again, you know, this is sort of my tension with that heritage history debate. That's always a reality, especially, I think, you know, a trend in a lot of the romanticization of the past. You know, I, as someone who teaches history, you do deal a lot with students who come into a classroom expecting the familiar stories that are, in mm-hmm. fact, not always history, but, you know, are, are the myths that, you know, mm-hmm. are told to them. Um, and I think the same applies for sort of like thinking about today, which is the Midwest today is very complex. So to love that space then and to appreciate that space is to at least recognize that, you know, a, a range of forces are within the, you know, this space that collectively make it what it is. Um, and, to you know, to ignore that or not acknowledge that is just like you're you've already created a fiction that you're holding up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Only this is just to agree with you. It does make sense to me. Um, I'm curious, um, as someone who's you know not a historian but looks at history and, and did in Midwest futures quite a bit. I'm I'm sort of curious, and I don't you know I don't have any direction for where this question goes. I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts. Uh, I'm curious if you have some thoughts about where you would like to see sort of Midwestern studies, whether that's history, whether that's lit or whatever. Where do you want it to go? Um, it's a, it's a long existing scholarly trend to like study this region, but certainly with the Midwest history association, the authors who contribute to it, there's sort of new life into the field of study. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what, what should academics be thinking about as we continue to think about the Midwest recognizing that's a a huge question. (laughs) I feel I get from what I from what I look at that comes from, from MHA, for example, I get the sense that uh, MHA folks are, are at least kind of trying to uh, rectify um, past overemphases on, on white people. Um, I don't know whether a scholar who works on Midwestern black history <laughs> would, would feel like those efforts are, are enough uh, or, or adequate, but I, I, it seems like an effort is being made. And I think that that is obviously like, yeah, that's, that's the thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's one of the things to be doing. Um, and, and in a lot of other ways, I don't know. I, 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 so, so that's kind of the first thing I would say. And then I, uh, beyond that, I would say I, I kind of 
I like what I've seen mm. from those scholarly communities. I mean, one thing that meant a lot to me is that I know that there are, are historians and fields of history that would be territorial uh, about a non-historian writing a book like this. Mm. Um, and I have not, I mean, maybe behind my back it's happening, but I have not gotten even a hint of that from anybody in that scholarly community, which that to me kind of, um, that fits with one of the good stereotypes about the Midwest, which is like kind of no drama people who are just concentrating on the work. Um, Mm. I think to the extent that the MHA folks are are, uh, actually living into that, you should continue to do that because by God, that is rare in academia. Um, I work at the University of Michigan. Have I mentioned? <laughs> have I mentioned this? Like, I don't know. You you meet so many people who who are territorial and dismissive of anything that is written for a, a non scholarly audience or anything that could be considered popularization. Even today, when the the severing of the communication lines between scholars hmm. and like non university people is it's it's like hurting us it it's it's like hurting the university community it's mm-hmm. putting us in real danger um you still run into that stuff um and i am really i i really am pleased and impressed by um how little of that i feel like i've i've been running into um so i mean that that part's cool mm-hmm. um i think one thing that one thing that I care a lot about, um, and it's not so much that I think this is being ignored as that I can never really have enough, I, I can never really hear of enough about this, is, um, and this is more a, a, of an SSML observation than an MHA observation. Um, I love hearing about Midwestern artists who are absolute visionary weirdos who stand alone mm-hmm. um, and who nobody else is like um i feel um i feel like there are more of those um sort of outsiders innovators um i and i feel i feel like the midwest is not often enough talked about as as this great nurturing ground for uh incredibly weird experimental artists Mm -hmm. marguerite young who i mentioned a moment ago i mean that's one um i don't i don't know if i can recommend reading miss mcintosh straight through um i can recommend reading angel in the forest her her utopias book i can recommend that unhesitatingly that book is just incredible um but it's it's wonderful that someone like this existed um Mm -hmm. And then I, I also I, I wanted this to be a whole like strain of argument in Midwest Futures or maybe even a follow up book. And I just haven't had had time to, to do it. But like um, thinking about uh, the Midwest as a source of music that is years ahead of its time, um, whether that's Ohio in the 1970s. Um, Ohio of all places, <laughs> like, you know, Cleveland as, as one of the first places where the innovations of the velvet underground were mm-hmm. sort of taken forward in, in like much stranger directions by groups like, um, rocket from the tombs, uh, mirrors, electric eels, Piribu. Um, 
you know, and, and then obviously the Minneapolis scene in the 1980s, um, you know, or scenes, you know, mm-hmm. cause you've got Prince and the time and you've got, uh, the replacements, um, Detroit techno, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, if I'm, I, I either need to write a book about the, all of that, or I need to read a book about all of that. <laughs> so if somebody wants to write that book, like, like the massive critical history of weird music in the Midwest in the 20th century. Um, uh, that is, that remains to be written. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I want to read that book as well. So, so either so you or so one of our listeners have to get started on that. No, that sounds great. Um, you, you've been really gracious with your time. I'm curious if you want to share with any of the listeners, I know, um, how to be normal, like just came out. Uh, <laughs> but are you, do you have any other projects underway or things you're thinking about getting started? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I have a sub stack, like everybody, mm-hmm. uh, you can Google my name, all this stuff will come up. Uh, so I have a sub stack. I, um, am trying to get back into the rhythm of writing my, um, regular, uh, new books column for plow quarterly. Um, I was, I was doing that pretty solidly for several months and then just the every other, every other month rhythm of it, I, I just got really tired, <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get that started up again. Um, I have different things that'll be coming out over the next few months um, in different places. But my next book for Belt, um, as things are shaping up now, it's going to be a book about kind of the the questions of how do we settle on shared accounts of reality if we do for the sake of democratic deliberation. Um, so I kind of wanted to take up that problem of like, we don't trust the news anymore, but I wanted to take it up from a sharply left wing rather than a center left mm. or center right angle, mm-hmm. um, where usually it's people being like, gosh, it's too bad. We don't trust newspapers anymore. And I want to say something that's a little bit more like, it is too bad. We don't trust newspapers anymore. The current situation is not an improvement. Also, do you remember how the New York Times endorsed the war in Iraq in 2003? Am I the only one who remembers that? Do we remember in the Noam Chomsky manufacturing consent movie when he compares the column inches devoted to to the the massacre in Cambodia that was not our fault versus the massacre in East Timor that kind of was our fault? Like, do we not remember that that is the history of these institutions? So more skepticism toward the institutions, but still treating it as a real problem and not mm-hmm. just yeah, being becoming a proponent of information anarchy. So I want to look at that that problem and also um, just the more general question of why is our cultural conversation so uh, terrible? Mm-hmm. Uh, and is there anything we can do about how bad it is? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, great. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure our listeners will too. I, um... I know Midwest Futures is still sort of, uh, as someone who's just at the conference last week uh, for the Midwest History Association, um, it's still, you know, it's still, people are still talking about it. So, uh, you know. It's, it's good to hear. It came out in 2020, like right yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic. So I was like, oh, nobody's going to buy this. <laughs> no, no, no. I, uh, it's still a conversation. I, I like it as a framing mechanism for thinking about, yeah, the a cultural history of the Midwest, of sort of perpetual futures. I, I completely biased here, but I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> and I'm glad I could have you on to, you know, finally talk about the book, um, yeah, yeah. even if it is a few years later. 
Yeah. Well, um, thank you. And I've yeah. really appreciated this. Well, yeah. Thank you again. Thank you for joining me. Um, for listeners, Midwest Futures uh, and, and How to Be Normal, both books published by Belt Publishing. I'd encourage you to order through uh, Belt Publishing websites or at a local bookstore. Bill, thank you again. This was great.